Hey, you're listening to Cut for Time, a podcast from Faith Church located on the north side of Indianapolis. My name is Claire Kingsley. Each week, I'll sit down with one of our preaching pastors to discuss their Sunday sermon. Cut for Time is a look behind the scenes of sermon preparation, and they'll share with us a few things that we didn't hear from the sermon on Sunday. Thanks for listening. Well, thanks so much for joining us for this week's edition of Cut for Time. My name is Dan Breitweiser, and if you're wondering what is going on today, well... I wasn't wondering that, but they might be wondering <laughs> you're, that. Yeah. You're, you're probably in, in good company. Obviously, uh, Nathan Kingsley gave the sermon uh, this week at Faith, and so um, it, it would be a little bit of an internal conversation if Claire was the one doing it. So yeah. I'm stepping in, and yeah. Pastor Joey's on vacation. So. Right, and just to set the record straight, I did not, the, the few times I've preached and done Cut for Time, I have not once told my wife Claire you can't be the one to interview me. <laughs> so just in case anyone's out there thinking that I'm the one doing this, she is removing herself because in her words, no one wants to listen to us talk. And I'm like, I don't think it, I, people really matter. But I think I think it would be fun to to listen to the two of you do it. This maybe, maybe next time. Be, yeah, be that as it may, I'm here and uh, with Pastor Nathan, and I'm excited to talk to you about this. So let's, let's get right into it. And obviously, um, you know, we're coming up on Easter and... Uh, you know, interesting passage for Matthew 27. So just let's start with, you know, the way we probably should. So give us a summary of your sermon. Yeah. Um, it'd be interesting to know how many uh, churches across the United States uh, preached this past Sunday on Palm Sunday and, you know, used this mocking passage. So <laughs> we might be a little unique there. But uh, yeah, so we have the context of it being Palm Sunday and not wanting just to completely ignore that, but also where we're at in the series, The Way of the Cross, uh, is... Jesus is already on the cross. You know, Joey, uh, Pastor Joey last week preached a sermon that basically got us to Jesus on the cross. And then uh, this coming Friday, we're going to be, you know, looking at the death of Jesus on the cross. And so I got the part in between, which is the mocking of Jesus. So, yeah, uh, my my approach and I guess the summary of of what we talked about uh, was basically the the content of the the mockings or you could call them taunts or revilings use any number of words i tried to not be uh, too repetitious in my sermon with that but um that the crowd and the religious leaders in attendance kind of gave to jesus and uh, at first glance it might just look like oh they're they're mocking jesus and we just move on to the death of jesus but it's really interesting the amount of ironic truth. Uh, I I read, uh, someone called it that, and I really like that that phrase for it. The ironic truth of the things that the crowd and the religious leaders are saying towards Jesus to taunt him, to mock him, uh, most of what they say is in fact true. They don't actually believe it, and that's why they're mocking him with it, but you know, they're calling him, you know, you called yourself the son of God, like trust in God. If God, you know, likes you, if God loves you, he'll save you, and oh, he has power to save others. Like, but he can't save himself. And like some of these things are ironically true because he, in fact, to save us, to save others, he couldn't save himself. And if he did save himself, then he wouldn't be saving others. So Matthew, the way he specifically writes this portion of the passion narrative is very purposeful. And um, yeah, just like the, the perspective that he's trying to show is that Jesus is Israel's promised Messiah. And that even in this time when Jesus is on the cross, the crowd's rejection of him is in fact fulfilling prophecy from Psalm 22, which is, 
you know, cut and pieced throughout this passion narrative. Um, Psalm 22, which we'll get to, I'm sure, on Friday, uh, starts with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which, if you're familiar with what Jesus says on the cross, is, you know, what he cries out at, at last. So, um, yeah, so we look, took a took some time to look at the, the mockings and, and how, as we walk in the way of the cross to follow Jesus, part of what that means is uh, we have to be okay with other people mocking us uh, for what we believe or how we live um, and then not rushing to our own defense to say, oh, what, let me let me tell you why, uh, but just to maybe even be silent at times. So that's the that's the shortened version or maybe the longer short version. <laughs> Wasn't just a couple sentences. Well, and I think you're right. I think not a lot of churches in America or around the world, even in this week or in this month, are really taking, you know, get to the crucifixion two to three weeks ahead of Easter. So yeah. I, I th- but it's been really good. I, I really, yeah. it, it's really good. Has it been tough? Was it tough to put a sermon together on that specific passage? Because it's part, obviously, of a much larger narrative, even, even uh, a larger paragraph that probably is a lot of times what a, maybe a pastor's yeah. sermon might be on. Yeah. No, that's a good question. I would say it was a little, like, nothing is easier than preaching from an epistle. Um, ask any preaching pastor, will probably say the same. Like some might like preaching narrative or Old Testament poetry, but like the easiest thing to preach is, a, is an epistle. And so uh, over the years, uh, the few times I've gotten to preach, um, there's been some other ones where I'm like, when I get to the first part of the process, I'm like, how am I going to write a sermon from these verses? But then as you know, as you dig in, as you think about it, meditate on it, read some commentaries and other sources of what other people think about it, um, that, like the the application and the understanding of a passage um, really starts to come to the surface. So yeah, I definitely had the thought of how am I going to preach a sermon on Palm Sunday, but about the mocking of Jesus. But then by the time the process is done, you know, it ended up working out okay. I think so. Uh, yeah, it wasn't wasn't necessarily the easiest thing, but it was it was a fun challenge for sure. I thought it was interesting how you started the sermon with that just kind of extended story trying to. I think get the congregation in the mindset of, and I think this has been a theme for the last few weeks of really trying to get in the mindset of walking in the way of Jesus, walking in his steps. Talk to me about that process and where that inspiration came from and just what you were thinking through as you were writing that intro to this. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, I, I agree. It's been really challenging and encouraging as we've kind of been in this series that maybe some of the, uh, the ways that as teachers or preachers, um, myself and Pastor Joey and Pastor Jeff might lean back on because it's just a familiar formula, like, okay, start the sermon with a story. And then from there, help it apply to us and on right. down the line. Um, it almost feels trite to when talking so deeply and seriously about the crucifixion of Jesus and everything he went through to just like, oh, let me tell you a fun story to start with. And so part of that was, okay, I'm going to try and just do something different. And then as I thought about more like, how do I want to start this sermon? Um, I was like, well, maybe this would be the, the opportunity to tie in Palm Sunday. Like, okay, well, how does Palm Sunday tie in with, you know, the mocking of Jesus? And so I didn't take the, I didn't, my introduction was just kind of a um, retelling of the triumphal entry from the perspective of someone that just happened to be in Jerusalem who had no idea who Jesus was. Uh, I kind of just wrote out some thoughts and then just kind of made it up as I went along. Um, and it, it was kind of fun. I had some fun with it. I don't know if you could tell, like it was, 
an opportunity to just immerse us in the story. And that's kind of where the, the goal was like, okay, from the start, I just want us to be in the mindset of like re-entering us into that narrative of where is Jesus? What's he doing? What, how does the crowd think about him? And then I think also the, the one thing I was trying to get across through doing that is why does the crowd hate him so much hmm. when he's on the cross? Like why do the religious leaders, I guess specifically hate him so much when he's on the cross that they are literally kicking a man when he's down, mocking him when he's in his dying moments. And I think we forget how much Jesus upended everything they were, everything they stood for, their whole tradition. And like, they did not like this guy at all. And on top of that, he was claiming to be the Messiah, which they believed him not to be. So, um, yeah, it's, it was a fun retelling of the Palm Sunday narrative, but, uh, I don't know if I'll be doing that every sermon I preach. <laughs> well, but I also think that goes to the sin nature of people that, you know, see yourself as superior to anybody, regardless of who they are. You know, if you're a criminal on the cross, well, at least I'm not that guy, you know, yes, and so I yeah. can um, do that. All right. Well, let's talk. Um, what did you have to cut for time? Uh, what was that like? Yeah, I had another idea of uh, an illustration or extended story, and I cut it for time, but also cut it for um, some illustrations or stories that you know pastors might want to tell might often they connect but they might be more distracting than is helpful Mm, and so the example i had thought of um was once again trying to get at this question why why did the crowd and the religious leaders like hate him so much they're mocking a man when he's about to die like is there anything in you know remotely modern history that connects with that and i don't know why but the example i thought of was ted bundy the serial killer who when he was finally caught and he was put on trial and you know he was given the death sentence the death penalty on the day that he was getting the electric chair in Florida there were crowds that gathered outside the prison with signs and banners and celebration like people were tailgating for the and like partying with like burn wow. Ted you know burn Bundy burn signs um, and this was back in the whatever 70s or 80s whenever before I was born but I was like, man, like this man who, you know, also had some level of um, repentance, I'll say. I don't know. I wouldn't say conversion necessarily. I don't know his heart, but had some level of repentance after he was caught uh, for all the terrible things he did. But uh, in his death, people were celebrating because they just like, yeah, good riddance. So there's like a similar mindset of the religious Mm -hmm. leaders. Like they cannot wait for Jesus to die. Um, And so... That was a that was a story that I was like, you know what? I don't need people thinking about Ted Bundy when we're trying to talk about Jesus. And then when I was asking Pastor Joey about it, he also brought up the. Um, he's like, yeah, that's that'd be interesting. Also, he's like, I remember when Osama bin Laden was killed, mm-hmm. and the rejoicing even amongst Christians in the United States when he died. And yeah, it's like a it's a very conflicting, weird feeling of to celebrate in someone's physical and earthly demise. Um, But when there's wickedness, there can be some thankfulness for God's justice being enacted. So anyway, that was something I cut. Yeah, interesting. And yeah, I think your instincts are right. Um, Yeah, I don't want to combine (laughs) Ted Budney with, but I think of too, like, I think there's good reason to be rejoicing, you know, when Bin Laden is caught, but it is certainly a different, thought too about rejoicing when he's dead i don't you know there's right. a there's a right. there's two very, two very different thoughts i think that 
you know, one certainly very appropriate, I think, and one that is definitely more, you know, need to be thinking critically about that. Yeah. I'm not saying there's a right or wrong yeah. to that, just that. Um, the one kind of the one thing I had thought about in, in part by, you know, attending the adult um, Sunday school, you know, the previous hour was, you know, Matthew and his decision to have both criminals mock Jesus is mm -hmm. different than um, Luke, Luke mm -hmm. where, you know, one, you know, seems to make a, you know, a, a, a genuine faith commitment. And yeah. Jesus is something actually we talked about, you know, an hour earlier than your sermon. And so. What are your thoughts about that? Um, can both be true, or, or what yeah. was where was Matthew's head with that? Yeah, so uh, very interesting question. I've wondered that myself. Um, and the, some people would look at this and say, "Well, Matthew says that the the thieves mocked Jesus, and and Luke says that the one of the thieves repented." So they're you know they conflict each other, and they can't you know there there's disharmony of the gospels. Well, I think both can be true, and I think both probably are true in that. They mocked Jesus. They kind of joined in, uh, whether it was because they, you know, they're already miserable and also dying. So why not just, you know, heap on the, yeah. the insults to Jesus who they didn't really know. Uh, but then maybe after that or at some point, uh, you know, Luke tells us in Luke 23 that, you know, one of the um, thieves rebukes the other thief who was mocking Jesus and then as a result of that and his repentance, when he says, you know, Lord, remember me in paradise, like Jesus says, like, okay, like, so, yeah, we don't know much more about the, the conversion of the, the thief. Um, he didn't go to any Bible studies. Uh, <laughs> he, he didn't go on any retreats or serve on in the Sabbath on Sundays or anything. But what we know is what we read in that um, Jesus said, like, tonight you'll be with me in paradise. So how... You know, the perfect, righteous judge can can say that based on what he did. Like, we don't know, but it's going to be a great story someday that we get to hear. Yeah. yeah. And I also think from what you talked about, it's almost like you know, wonder how maybe the the thief, the criminal, his heart was changed based on Jesus's reaction yeah, to could have been. all that mocking. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, that's that's not normal. I mean, and there could yeah. be a lot of other things going on, too, but I wonder if that had anything yeah. to do with it. Yeah. And kind of on that note. I think it's in Matthew when we're getting we're gonna get there, but when it talks about the the Roman centurion who was overseeing Jesus' death, who said like surely this was the mm -hmm. Son of God, um, I think it's Matthew. It's one of the Gospels. I can't remember which one off the top of my head, but it says when this Roman centurion saw the way that he died. So it wasn't just like saw that he was dead, but like the way in which he died, kind of taking into account the fact that he was mocked and he did not, you know insults back and that he you know like just the way in which Jesus was crucified and died this excruciating humiliating death um, yet not for once like the only thing he kind of addressed them in at all was to say father forgive them and it was the way in which he died that prompted this centurion to say surely this was the son of God so um, yeah like it, there's definitely this possibility that this thief seeing and hearing how Jesus responded or didn't respond, responded in silence to the mocking of the religious leaders, kind of had a change of heart and moment of repentance. You talked about how we shouldn't be surprised if the world mocks us for Jesus. Can you talk a little more as you kind of go into that, how to identify ourselves with Jesus in those moments? What does that mean when we're, you know, because obviously we're, yeah. I mean, uh, and Joey did such a great job last week talking about, you know, just the 
the pain and what you have to do to just breathe, you yeah. know? So we're not going to be hopefully ever in that situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, how, how can we identify ourselves with Jesus in, in our own, you know, personal moments? Yeah. Like that? And, and it's a, it's a really good question, but a really hard question to answer. And, um, even the answer itself can sometimes sound a little nebulous of just like, what, what does that even mean, right? And I've even been asking myself that with some of the things that um, Pastor Joey has been saying, like, so you say that, but what does that mean? How does that, <laughs> what does that really look like, you know, in 2023 uh, in my life? And so kind of from a, I guess, more general approach to it, I would say to identify or identify ourselves with Christ looks like we are choosing not to care about the things that we might want to identify ourselves as, right? So I am a, you know, middle-aged, not middle-aged, I'm 31. I don't know why I think it's probably <laughs> to say middle-aged. I am a man, uh, married, three kids. I like to pe- people think of, you know, me as having a sense of humor or I'm easy to get along with, right? There's all these different ways we could identify ourselves. Um, and yet to identify ourselves with Christ doesn't mean that we don't care about those things, but like what we care about the most is that we, I'm trying to think of a different word than identify, uh, we are choosing to align ourselves with the things that Christ cares about and choosing to say, I belong to Jesus. And so even if you don't think I'm funny, even if I lose these other parts of me, I you know lose my family or I lose my job or you know my friends reject me, because I have Christ, I'm okay. Because I am following Jesus, doesn't matter what what else about me changes, I'm not going to fret, I'm not going to worry because my identity is secure in Jesus. And that's like a hard place to be. And sometimes it's, it's not like so challenging. We're not going through suffering. And to identify with Jesus is like this really like encouraging, positive experience. But then sometimes when it's really, really hard, to not care about these other things as much as maybe we want to. Like, I want to try and fight and hold on to these things that I'm losing. Like, I'm gonna fight for my own reputation so people know I'm right. Or I'm gonna fight for this other thing so people know that it wasn't my fault that this mistake at work happened. Um, To identify with Christ might look like, okay, I'm not gonna fight for my own reputation. I'm not gonna, you know, argue with people to try and convince them of my position, but part of identifying with Christ might just look like, all right, I'm secure in Jesus and that's good enough for me. That's a really hard place to be in various times. It's, there's, um, yeah, it's really hard. Yeah. Um, the, um, I, the quote that really stuck out to me, I know listening, um, you know, I, I really, really liked um, when you, when you mentioned the the great blasphemy of the universe is that we believe our way is better than God's way. We fail to acknowledge and give him glory for his gifts to us. We question his rule and authority in our lives while at the same time doing it with the brain he gave us and holds together with the lungs he created and the air that he gave us to breathe. Um, I guess my initial thought just in this was kind of, um, you know, how did you think that kind of connected? And and then what are some of the ways that God has worked in your life, um, Pastor Nathan, that may not seem the way you would have chosen for Mm. yourself? As we're talking about that, identifying with Jesus and, and those kind of things. Um, I'm sure, you know, I could really talk about it and I'm sure you could as well. Yeah. Um, that, you know, ways that 
we would have chosen a different way for ourselves, but God yeah. has chosen a different way for us. Yeah, so that quote comes from uh, Matt Chandler. Uh, it's kind of a, a part of a longer quote just describing the gospel, but it's the part that resonated with me specifically in, in regards to this topic because I think some of us might think, like we, we feel for Jesus on the cross, suffering this mocking, um, but we maybe don't put ourselves in the place of the crowd. Maybe we put ourselves with the Apostle John, who stayed faithful and was there uh, at the base of the cross. Um, and yet, I think we all, whether knowingly or unknowingly, have mocked God and have rejected him. And that's part of why we are sinful and in need of Jesus, is because we have mocked God. Um, and so I felt that's kind of how that quote, um, which I had come across recently, connected. Um, so lest anyone think that, oh, like, now nah, I'm... I'm, I, I don't mock God. I, I maybe don't accept every little thing about it, you know, that he wants me to do, but like, I, I've never shaken my fist at God. And it was kind of, I was hoping it would land in this sense of like, doesn't matter your, your, where you've been in life. We have all rejected God. And it's insane to think that we do it with the brain and the lungs and like everything about us that we are using to reject God are the things that God gave us and sustains us with. So it's just this, yeah, blasphemy. <laughs> yeah, the great irony. Irony, yeah, yeah. that's a good and, word. Good, yeah. And it's the same thing where we minimize our own mistakes and our yeah. own issues, yep. and we, you know, the you know, um, speck in our own eye, type, and and we see the log and or and the speck in somebody else's eye, and we miss the log yes. in our own. Yes. That you know, we are so quick to jump down somebody else's throat when they screw up, but we're so easy to, yeah, um, you know, be forgiving of ourselves. Yeah. And I can like. As a you know news reporter, I never did a story on somebody who died who wasn't a really good guy. Right. You know what I right. mean? Like when yeah. anybody, they were really good. They had a great sense of humor. Like yeah, you hear the same things over and yeah. over again, and it's like, well, I mean, that could be true, but you yeah. know, you just you yeah. know, it's a very very much of it. But to the second part of your question, where you know, what's been a time where you know God has maybe led me in one way when I would have chosen a different way? Um, I think, you know, so I've. My family and I have been here at Faith Church for almost five years. And when I was coming out of seminary and, and looking for, you know, a job, but kind of more than a job, also kind of seeking out God's calling. Like, where where are you leading us? Um, there, was a, there was an opportunity to stay with our home church in Milwaukee. But even before then, um, there was a, an opportunity to, uh, I was interviewing and did like a mild, not quite candidating, but was really looking at this church in Wisconsin that was close to my wife's family and uh it just felt like a great fit like it mm. really did it was great church great location it was still it was a student ministry position and um it was like if I could have chosen it for myself like if if I it was up to me I would have said yes I'm this is great like let's do it um but then part of it was I think the way in which it kind of fell apart or the way it that I didn't get the job uh, was kind of hard. But in general, it, it really felt like the rug was pulled out from under us in that moment of like, oh man, like I graduate in like a month. I thought I had this thing lined up, but now I'm like back to square one. Like, what are we supposed to do? Um, and yet in retrospect, I think also especially being here at Faith, it's like, wow, it is very clear in retrospect seeing how God had a plan and he wanted us here. Um, and the community that we've built here at Faith Church. Um, not saying we wouldn't have found great people who love Jesus at sure. this other church, but um, I have no regrets at all. And I thank God that he 
brought us here and not left us, you know, somewhere else that he didn't want us to be. So, yeah, those those types of transitions can can always be hard, um, whether it's, you know, job loss or, you know, loss of um, other things, whether it's material possessions or, you know, my wife and I, our first pregnancy ended in a miscarriage. And so, like, would I choose that for myself? Absolutely not. But, I mean, the amount of people that we've been able to have empathy with who have been experiencing that as well is a testament to what God has done in our own life and the faithfulness um, of God to us. And, and I don't just say faithfulness, oh, because we have like, we have three kids now. Like, even if we right. had no kids at all, like God would still be faithful to us. So um, the fact that we get to empathize with people because of the suffering that God has brought us through um, is the light of the gospel that I think a lot of people need to hear, whether they know it or not. Um, and that's why we're still here. That's why when we become Christians, we don't just get sucked up to heaven, uh, but that God leaves us here to make disciples and to spread the good news of the kingdom uh, while we're still here until either we die or Christ comes again. Yeah, the challenge I think is so many times, there are times where we do know, we can look back and go, oh, I totally see why God did that. Right. And then there's so many times <laughs> where right. we, nope. won't, we will never find out. Yeah. You know, when we're like, that seemed like that could have been so perfect or that you know why and and so the i think the challenge as christians is to really um you know live with confident expectation that we know that um yeah god has done there's been great reasons for that even yeah. if we have no idea yeah even if we don't get those answers we're looking for we're praying like god why did this happen i trust you but why did this happen even if we don't get answers to that god is still good and it's still his plan and he's still sovereign over it um, he didn't forget about you for a minute, and that's why this happened. He didn't decide, well, I'm going to do this for everyone else's good, but not the good of Nathan, <laughs> you right. know. But right. God says that for those who are called according to his purpose, he works all things together for our good and his glory. Uh, and so even if it doesn't feel like it at the time, there's something he's trying to show us, teach us, create in us that maybe we're not even ever going to find out this side of heaven. Yeah. I, You know, with... My wife and our story, I mean, our son, um, you know, Noah has um, Duchenne muscular dystrophy. And so, um, you know, that's uh, at this point, I mean, we're certainly praying for cures and things like that. But, you know, it's a fatal disease when mm -hmm. you're in your early 30s. Um, and so, you know, those those types of things are definitely things that, you know, we think through and struggle with and pray about. And, um, you know, one one line um, one quote that's given us, you know, immense comfort connected to God being all good as well as being all powerful is comes from Tim Keller, who says, if we knew what God knows, we would ask exactly for what he gives. Mm. And mm, that's good. I mean, that's really hard, you know, yeah. when you're, you know, um, I mean, I'm holding my son yesterday and he's getting blood drawn. Like, mm. I didn't, wasn't that emotional as a person for most of my life. And then Noah shows up and you're like, oh my, like I, you know, like, yeah. you know, in this time of Easter and crucifixion and, you know, like I'm not God, not, but, you know, just like giving up your son. And I mean, just, there's so many things where it's like, oh yeah. man, like there's just a, there's a depth to um, the Christian walk and what God has done for us that goes, you know, just, you know, I'm sure you can identify in other ways. And as you talked about, you know, yeah, but that, um, yeah, if we knew what God knows, um, we would ask exactly for what he gives. And that's a. Think it's really true and that's really hard um, yeah. when you're going through a, a divorce or you're going through yeah. a miscarriage or you're going through yeah. 
um, job loss or, you know, yeah. having to move or things like that. But um, yeah, yeah. to be able to hold on with both hands in those yeah. moments. Yeah. The amount of times that, you know, I, I give mostly my oldest, Hazel's five. Uh, so Addie, who's two and a half, and John Mark, who's nine months. I haven't had as many of these opportunities with them, but the amount of times where you just want to like grab them and say like, just trust me. Like, yeah. why? Why are you doing this? Why? Why can't I do this? Like, just trust me. Like, I have your best interests in mind. And the amount of times where like I'll say something to Hazel and be like, yeah, God probably says that to me all the time. <laughs> like, he does. God, why are you leading me here? Why? Why can't I do this? Just trust me. No, but tell me why. Show me why. And it's like, no, just. But I want to know now. Yeah, I want to know now. now, not later. Yeah. Are you sure this is for my good? Are you sure, like, I shouldn't eat a whole bowl of ice cream on top of the pancakes that I already had for breakfast? And yes, you will hate yourself later. <laughs> but, yeah, like, the, the amount of things that I've learned and experienced in my relationship with God that have come as a direct result or a realization of being a parent is, oh, wow. This must be how God feels about me sometimes. Yeah. But at the same Absolutely. time, while I might get frustrated and maybe even annoyed at my kids at time, at times, uh, God is never frustrated or annoyed with us. And that's the part that is, I think, even hard for me to believe sometimes is that like God is not like shaking his head with disappointment and like, oh my gosh, this guy blew it again. Uh, but that he, his love is not limited like my love for my kids is. And so... Um, yeah, he calls us to, to greater things, to holiness and righteousness. Uh, but at the same time, when he looks on us, he sees the righteousness of Christ because like, we are safe and secure in him, and that's why we choose to identify with him, and it's the greatest news you could ever imagine that instead of our shame and guilt that should be ours, that's what Christ took on the cross uh, as he suffered these mockings and tauntings and revilings and... Um, and yet, as an exchange, we get the righteousness of Christ, and we get to glory. We get glory in His glory, uh, which is just insane to believe. Yeah, because of His death, death on the cross, which we will certainly be uh, looking at this coming Sunday. Yeah. So, uh, well, Pastor Nathan, thank you so much for uh, letting me fill in because your yeah, wife does thanks. such an amazing job. I yeah. tell her this on a regular <laughs> basis. I I listen to these and I love where her mind goes with questions and the people, the questions that are submitted and things like that. So I think it's a really great thing that she does. And um, yeah, thanks yeah, for interviewing so. me. Uh, I enjoyed our conversation <laughs> and thanks for, you know, just being willing to share a part of your own story as well. Um, you don't always have to do that as an interviewer, but you did. So thanks for joining me on this week's edition of cut for time. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of cut for time. If you wish to submit questions to our pastors following their sermon, you can email them to podcast at faithliveitout.org or text them into our Faith Church texting number, and we'll do our best to cover it in the week's episode. If this conversation blessed you in any way, we encourage you to share it with others. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week.